What's going on, everybody? It is Leonard Tanks, pastor of Reach City Church, and I welcome you back to another week of our sermon series, God's Prescriptions. What God prescribes is always the best treatment. We have been walking through different things that God is prescribing for us to do in the midst of our hardships and tribulations, those things that will help us to have healing and peace and deliverance. And so we have uh, talked about uh, God prescribing grace. We have talked about God prescribing the necessary thing. We have talked about God prescribing the church. And you can see all of those uh, in the previous podcast. But this week, I'm excited as this week, uh, my wife, uh, Minister Dee Dee Tanks, she will be up and she is teaching us this week about what God is prescribing to us in the midst of our hardships and our trials and tribulations. Uh, what's this week's prescription? Praise. Want to know what it's about? Take a look and listen. We've been journeying through um, God's prescriptions. God's prescription we're going to talk about today is praise. We're just going to journey through Acts 16, verses 22 through 26. That's what um, we're going to be focusing on as we look at this prescription of praise that God has prescribed us. Just to give a little historical background before we go into our text, because um, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but Paul is on his second missionary journey, and right now he's with Silas, and they um, decide to go to the place of prayer, which is like the house of worship, right? And on their way, a slave girl is following them. And while they're walking, like she's shouting all this stuff at them. She's saying that they're followers of God the Most High and that she, they're instructing people to obtain salvation. So for days, this is going on. She, she's following behind them and she's like, yo, these are followers of God Most High and they're leading people to obtain salvation. The reality is what she was saying was true. Paul, Silas, his team were followers of God Most High and they did want people to be saved. However, we got to look at everything in the cultural context. So, so in Rome, God Most High was not the same reference to what the Jews and the Hebrews and the Israelites would refer to as God Most High. They thought of God Most High as God. But in that Roman context, God Most High was often referred to as the pagan god Zeus. So the God Most High she, they could have heard could have been Zeus, right? Obtaining salvation. In Greco-Roman times, like salvation, savior, to get saved, though, that was a common term. But it wasn't associated with Jesus for that culture of people. It was associated to high leaders and kings. They often called themselves, the emperor called himself the savior of the people, right? So, so she's walking around behind them, calling, saying that they are followers of God most high, and saying that they are leading people to attain salvation. And she's shouting this out, right? She's shouting this message out, but it's a message that could be misconstrued to the current audience. So Paul gets tired of this, and what he does is he shut that thing down, right? What he does is he goes, yo, spirit, get out of her, because it was a demonic spirit that was in her. And so when that happened, her slave owners got a little upset, because what she was doing is she had the ability to foretell the future with that spirit in her. And so they was making mad dough off of her. And so when Paul rebuked that spirit, what happened is he was messing with their money because they was no longer able to get paid. And since they weren't able to get paid, they got pissed off. They got aggravated like many of us would do if people start messing with our bank account and messing with our dollars. They're a little frustrated, right? But their frustration pushed them into a negative action. And what they did was they dragged Paul and Silas in front of the magistrates who were responsible for maintaining order in the area and they made some false claims against Paul and Silas. They said that they were Jews and that basically they were inciting riots, trying to get people to like overthrow the Roman government and all of that. All not true, but based on the fact that Paul and Silas messed with their money and they was upset, they made up these claims and these lies about them. And this is where we pick up in um, verse 22. So it says, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
So, like I said before, if you if you read, start at the beginning of the chapter, you'll see Paul and Silas were on their way to the house of prayer. They were on their way to worship God. That was their plan and their intention. Like, essentially, they had praised God and were honoring God because they were on a missionary journey, basically, to get people converted to become followers of the way. So, so they were in the process of following God, and they were in the process of doing the will of God. Yet... They ended up getting stripped, beaten, and thrown in jail. Like, they were praising. They were doing what they were supposed to do. So the first, first point I just wanted to understand and always remember is that praise doesn't stop our problems. Right? Praise doesn't stop our problems. And I believe we got to be real honest and paint a realistic picture of what it means to follow Christ. Because praise doesn't stop any of our problems. Doing what it is God told us to do, living for God, doesn't stop our problems. And as a matter of fact, it incites our problems. Amen. That's what scripture says. So, so if we'll just look at like Psalm 34, 19, right? It says, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. The righteous person. that A righteous person is somebody that's like trying to be holy, like trying to be like Christ. Like that person may have many troubles. Not just one or two, not a few, but a whole bunch of them. A whole slew of issues going to come across righteous people. But what's the beauty of it? What does God do when they're having many troubles? He delivers them from them all, right? If we look at um, what Jesus said in John 16, he said, I have told you these things so in me you may have peace. In this world, you know, sometimes you're going to have some troubles. In this world, you may have troubles. This is a confirmation that in this world, you will have troubles. It's nothing for us to think about. We're going to have problems. But then Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. So, so Jesus is telling believers, he's telling people following him, like, yo, you're going to have hard times, but I got you. Then if we go in Philippians, right, I just want, like, it's scripture after scripture that would tell us this. Um, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It's been granted unto you on behalf of Christ. So, so like, like we're in communion with Christ, and yeah, we rocking with him. We believe in him. Like, we're willing to do that. But it's not just that. That belief is going to be coupled with some suffering. We're going to be suffering for the sake of Christ. First Peter says, but even if you should suffer for the, um, what is right, you are blessed. Don't fear of their threats. Don't be frightened. Another translation says, don't be intimidated and don't be troubled. Like the reason Peter, the reason the writers can say these things is because Jesus has overcome the world. It's because even though we're going to suffer, even though we're going to struggle as believers, even though we're going to go through hard times, we're not going to be doing this thing alone. And we're not going to lose. Like at the end of the day, we're going to be victorious. Now, we don't know what the end of the day is, so we struggle trying to figure out when the end of the day is going to be. But at the end, like, we win, y'all. And so, so the reality is no matter where we are in our lives, even if we're praising, even if we're doing right, we're going to endure some stuff. And, and these two men, man, they suffered like they were strict. So if you just think if you just think about being stripped, like that's an intrusion of your physical body, like stripped. They didn't voluntarily take their clothes off. Like they some people in public came and tore their garments from their body in public. So this is something they didn't permit to happen. It's something they didn't ask for. It's something that they didn't didn't volunteer for. They were stripped. They were publicly violated and publicly shamed. Have you ever in your life been publicly humiliated or, or violated or, or placed in situations to where you didn't expect to be in front of others and that vulnerable and you were struggling, dealing with your self-esteem, dealing with your self-worth, dealing with who you are, because you're just naked and open? You in good company with them. Then they were beaten, and that, that word beaten is like to be hit multiple times with like a rod or stick. Another translation says, with many stripes they were hit. And Luke, the, the author, is like many stripes, like it's just too many times to count. And, and when we read these narratives, we really have to think about what's happening in real time. Like, and I don't know about you if you ever got a whooping, but like, I, 
the whoopings don't always hit in the same spot. So it's like multiple different types of pain on different levels of your body, right? It's not in the same spot that you get hit when you get a whooping because ain't nobody that accurate in terms of their beating. You know what I mean? But it's like in different areas, in different places on your body. And, and, and they're beating, you know, our parents, you know, praise God, unless we had some DCFS involvement, eventually stopped our whoopings or, or didn't break skin or, you know, those kind of things. But to be beaten with a rod or a stick multiple times over and over, like, like think of some of our ancestors and in, enslaved in, in and like beaten with whips, right? Flesh broken, blood bleeding from them, stuff oozing out skin inflamed, like like this is what happened. So so when we read these narratives, we can't just dismiss the fact that they got a beat. No, it's not the beat that we're, they were in pain, right? A physical pain that many of us never endured, nevertheless a physical pain. And I know many of us are enduring some level of physical pain, whether it's our bodies and just medically our bodies are like turning against us where we're struggling with certain diseases or we just have an unbearable heartache and an unbearable pain, but but we endure pain, and we're in good company with them. Then they were placed in a prison, right? So, so after they were stripped and beaten, that wasn't enough. They had to go to prison. They were placed in jail. And then scripture says that they were in the inner cell. So back in the day, many Roman prisons had like three specific areas. So you had the outer area, um, which was like an open space. And so like when, you know, I was younger, and shouldn't have been watching it. Like I envisioned seeing like eyes and how um, they had this yard and it was these big gates where they always was hooping in the yard. So to me, that's like the outer area. Then they had another area. It was a little more inward and that was like a cell. It was bars, it was the chains that were bought. It was wounds that permitted you from being able to leave. But then even more inside of that, the inner cell, not the interior, but the inner cell was like a dungeon. And it was dark, and it was damp, and it was cold, and it was isolated. And in that time, that inner cell was often for people who were about to be executed. So oftentimes the inner cell, that dungeon area, was for people on death row. Now, now Paul and Silas not on death row. They're not about to get executed. That's not the situation. The reason they're in this inner cell is for security measures because the guard knew that if they escaped, he could face death because if guards let prisoners escape, they could die. So they were just on high security alert, right? But they're trapped. And then it just goes on. Like, like these levels, I'm breaking it down because these levels are like, it's just more persecution and more suffering on top of more suffering. So they got stripped, they got beaten, they got placed in prison, and then their feet got put into stocks. And those stocks were often, at that time, um, an instrument used for torture. So what it was was these chains that had different holes for feet to be placed in them. And the reason there were different holes because depending on where you placed your feet, you could stretch a person's body and you could stretch their torso to torture them, right? And so their feet are stretched because they're in stocks. They're not being tortured, but they're stretched. And if you just think about like your feet being in a position locked there, they're bound. They can't get out. So their trapping can't get out, but physically their bodies can't move for, to do what it is they wanted to do. And Pete gained. These were all illegal acts. They had done nothing wrong. These were innocent men. What I think is so, so cool about Paul and Silas is this entire time, Paul is a Roman citizen, which means that it was illegal for them to beat him and strip him in public without a fair trial. It was illegal. Not one time did Paul say, yo, I'm a Roman citizen. They did something similar to what Jesus uh, did. 1 Peter 2.23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. When they, being Jews, hurled their insults at him being Jesus, Jesus didn't retaliate. So, so when... They were out there talking about Jesus, dogging Jesus, saying he wasn't the king, um, saying he wasn't who he was. Jesus didn't retaliate when people were talking about him. Jesus didn't say nothing. 
He ain't say nothing because he knew it wasn't true. But Jesus didn't say nothing. And when he suffered, when Jesus was beaten, when the crown of thorns was placed on Jesus' head, when the nails went in his hands and in his feet, when his side was pierced, like, Jesus didn't say nothing. He made no threats. And this is Jesus. This is God in flesh. Like, he had the power to command legions of angels to come and just uplift him out of that thing. He had the power in his words to say, die, and people could die. Like, this is Jesus. And he didn't use any of that. Why? Because what Jesus did was he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to God. So what Jesus did when he was enduring suffering and persecution, what he did was he trusted God. And what Paul and Silas did when they were suffering during this time, what Paul and Silas did when, when they were stripped, when they were beaten, when they were in prison, when they were bound, what they did was they entrusted themselves, they entrusted their situation to God. If we look at verse 25, it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. We already know the suffering that they endured, and this is not like weeks later. Like, this is a real-time account. So, like, about midnight, they had just gotten beaten, hurt, and their, their skin and flesh is still open. They haven't had any balm to heal their wounds. Their feet are still bound and locked in the socks. Like, and at midnight, Paul and si Silas were praying. This is nighttime. They should be asleep, right? But they can't sleep. So because they couldn't, what did they start doing? They started praying and singing hymns. They couldn't sleep. They didn't sleep. They had endured so much stuff, they started praying and singing hymns. And I don't want y'all to think like they were praying and then they started to sing. That's not the way it's like really written. What, the way it's really written is if they're both connected. As if they were pouring their hearts out so much to God that then they were compelled to praise and worship. It's as if they were petitioning God for everything that they had, everything that they were going through, and then all of a sudden they just started thanking God for who he is and what he's done in their lives. It, it, it wasn't like prayer time, praise time. It was the same time, and it was a fluid channel for what they did. You get what I'm saying? So it wasn't like, yo, let me pray. I'm done with praying. It's praise time. It was all interconnected. Right? And so... Because it was interconnected, what happened? As they began bringing the situation before God, they stopped focusing on their problem, they stopped focusing on their situation, and they started focusing on the problem solving. Right? A couple weeks ago, I was, um, I couldn't sleep, right? I'm having a, a, a rough time at my job in a lot of ways, just emotionally, some of y'all know. Um, Dealing with some stuff I never, I'm not accustomed to, like some feelings of inadequacy, some feelings of anxiety, like some, some stressors that I'm not accustomed to. And about two weeks ago, um, I found out some more bad news the day before work, and I just couldn't sleep. And usually when I wake up in the middle of the night, it's because like Dominic climbing into my bed or like Dylan got a potty or something like that. But, but this time, my kids didn't even wake me up. But I was woken up, and what I did for two hours straight is I sat there and I thought about all my problems at work. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I should be asleep. I sat for two hours just thinking about and ruminating on stuff at work, problems with management, problems with clients, stressors, inability to be promoted, like just ruminating on those things. That wasn't helpful for me. All I did in those moments was wallow in self-pity. All I did in those moments was feel every bit of pain and rejection. <coughs> like, that's all I did. And then I remembered the message my husband had preached about Mary and Martha, and Martha being distracted by her stuff, and Mary choosing to sit at the feet of Jesus, and that was the necessary thing. And I was like, well, let me, let me listen to my pastor and, you know, kind of do what he says, see if that works, right? And so, so what I did was I started to just read my word. And when I began to read my word, then I just started praying to God. And then after, like, not even that long of praying to God, like, I just started to praise God for who he was and just thanking him for the fact that he's given me a job and, and thanking him for the opportunity to be able to serve people and, and thanking him for the opportunity to be able to walk in the purpose that God has given me. And then I stopped even thanking him for the stuff that he's given me and was just like, Lord, thank you for life. 
Thank you for being a creator. Thank you for being a healer. Thank you for being my God. Thank you for being my redeemer. And, and, and please believe that when I got to that point, I no longer was aggravated with the fact that my boss did X, Y, and Z, or I was struggling with rejection and pain. What I was able to do was no longer focus on my problem in my current situation, but the problem solver. And then for the next 45 minutes, I was able to rest. You know, I get up early anyway, but like for the next 45 minutes, I was able to rest peacefully. I was no longer wrestling with my stuff. What I'm just trying to get you to understand is that when we are suffering, when we're struggling, we got to get to that point. We can't allow our situations and our stuff to keep us self-centric. We got to move to the point that we always remain theocentric, no matter the season, no matter the time, and no matter the circumstance, right? The psalmist says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises will continually be in my mouth. And we say that a lot, like, I bless the Lord at all times, you know, and we say that. But when we say that, I really think that when we think all times, we're thinking of, like, all good times. Like, or we're thinking of, like, all okay times. Like, I'm going to bless the Lord, right, when my kids get all A's, right? I'm going to bless the Lord when my husband is serving and, you know, folding clothes and doing the stuff that speaks in my love language, right? I'm going to bless the Lord when I get a promotion, right? But we don't think about the situation that we're going to bless the Lord when our kids are struggling in school or they're struggling with their identity and who they are. We don't think about the times... We don't often think about that scripture when we're struggling with our own mood and our own stuff. We don't go, I will bless the Lord at all times, even in the time that my husband get on my nerve, I'm going to bless the Lord. Or even in the time where I don't understand or I'm confused, I'm going to bless the Lord. Like, so we got to get to the point to where we truly understand I will bless, that we can truly say I will bless the Lord at all times. And all times literally means all times. Good times, bad times, okay times, in between times, all times, right? And so somebody could be like, okay, Didi, I get it. Like, we should be praising. What the heck does praise even mean? What is that? And it's a simple thing that we all have the capacity to do. Praise simply means to honor, appreciate, or esteem something. Praise has its roots in the word halal, which, which means literally to brag, to boast. And so when we're praising God, what we're really doing is just bragging on who God is and what God has done. It's not something we're unable to do, right? It's actually where we get the word hallelujah from, which we've sang numerous times this morning, like halal, to brag, to boast, yah, which is a shortened form of Yahweh, right? So hallelujah, praise God, hallelujah, praise God, hallelujah, praise God. Like, we, we have the ability to do that. Or we should have the ability to do that. Like I said earlier, like I, I didn't used to understand why people would be falling out. I ain't probably ain't gonna fall out. That's just not my nature. I like to be upright, not on the ground. Um, but when people fall out or or when people would be crying, like didn't understand it. But then in my life, I was like, yo, when we think about the fact that we were sinners destined for hell, when we think about the fact that we deserve death for every offense that we did to a holy God. When I think about my mouth, or I think about every lie I ever told, or, or I think about all the things I've ever done, and then I think about a Jesus who came down into flesh, right? And lived on this earth and did absolutely nothing wrong and instead took my sin, my pain, my everything, and bore that on a cross. Like if that don't move you to say something, if that don't move you to if that don't move you to a sense of praise, something wrong with you. It ain't wrong with the one who did it. Something's wrong with you. And we need to assess that. Because when you think about God, the natural response should be some type of praise. And it's jacked up because we'll do that in any other situation in our life, right? We'll have these levels of joy, glee, exaggerate, excitement, I was about to say exaggeration, but excitement for other things. Yeah. My sports fans, right? Like if, a, if we get a, a touchdown happen or our favorite team win the Super Bowl or the NBA Finals, like my husband, 2016, aggravated me, like I told y'all before, this man ran around my house screaming because he was excited, right? 
We get mad excited when our favorite artists, we can, we can see them in concert. Or when Beyonce has a daggone hour-long special about a video, you know, it's a video broadcast. We learn all the dances and learn all the songs. Like, we're excited about that. But when it comes to God, when it comes to the person who saved our soul, when it comes to the person who redeemed us, we stay silent. We quiet. We ain't got no praise then. That's a problem. Scripture says, let everything that have breath praise the Lord. And that's what we should be doing. And if you don't know how to praise, it's quite easy. That ain't a part of it. You ain't about to play no shouting music. That was not it. Because I didn't go to shopping school, so I don't even know how to do that. Um... <laughs> but if you look at Psalm 149, right, it says, let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with temporal and harp. Let them praise his name with dancing. So to me, that's a kinesthetic phrase, right? That's a praise of the body, movement, motion, right? It's dancing. It's flagging, right? It's, it's moving our bodies. For the Lord, but for us who aren't necessarily rhythmically inclined, it also could mean clapping. It could mean the raising of hands. For those that I didn't understand and still don't understand, it could mean running laps around a sanctuary. Like that is a kinesthetic praise. And then it says, make music to him with temporal and heart. These are musical instruments, right? So this is a musical praise. This is a um, rhythmic praise. My drummers, keyboardists, violinists, heck, even beatboxers. Like, if you are able, pencil tapping like we did when we was in school. Like, if you can make beats for Jesus, producers, like, you can praise him. Psalms 26, 7. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surrounded me. At, the, at his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Shouts of joy. Shouts. That's just a joyful praise. That's that scream. That's that hallelujah. That's that thank you, Jesus. That's, that's that all that stuff, right? I'm going to assume that's for people like myself who can't sing, who can't, you know, sing and make music to the Lord. I don't have a melodic praise like there. I ain't like our wonderful worship singer and his wife who just sound beautiful. So I got to learn how to make this joyous praise. I got to learn how to shout or do something like that. I can't sing. And y'all don't want me to either, praise God. If you look at 2 Samuel 18, right? I don't know that guy's name, but he called out to the king, all is well. And he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground and said, praise be to the Lord your God. He bowed down before the king with his face to the ground and then said, praise be to the Lord. He bowed down. That's a reverential praise. All that is is the posturing of your heart in the posturing of your body. A lot of that has to do with humility. When you look at yourself standing before a holy God, what does your heart naturally do? Does it bend towards him? Or does it stay upright in pride? Like a reverential phrase. And then this doesn't say he sang. It doesn't say that he shouted. It literally says, and he said, praise be to the Lord. That's a linguistic phrase. That's just being able to audibly say it with our mouths, right? That's for my writers. That's for my orders, my public speakers. Like, like in every stage of life, whoever you are, however God has created, gift you, equipped you, there is a way for you to praise him in that. And if nothing else, my favorite, the one that we often hear, it's just a sacrificial, a sacrificial praise. Hebrews says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. This sacrifice of praise, the sacrificial praise, this, this, is, this is doing it even when you don't want to. This is like understanding that it's a necessary thing to praise, understanding that it's a necessary thing to honor God, and just doing it anyway. It's professing it with your lips. And then the other thing that I just think is so cool, it says don't forget to do good and to share with others. So we can also praise God in just the practical way we love on one another. 
the practical assistance we give to one another if we do it in honor and reverence to him. So we all can do it. Regardless of the avenue we choose to praise, we should praise. God gives us songs of the night according to Job 35. And those songs of the night, like night is darkness and struggle. But God gives us songs during that time. I'm convinced that the only reason God would give us songs during the dark times is to encourage us and to uplift us as we focus on him. If we focus on praising God for who he is and what he's done, y'all, I promise you it's medicine. It switches our focus. And so as a clinician, I'm a um, clinician by trade, right? And one of the short-term interventions we use with clients and one of the short-term interventions I use with staff is called cognitive behavioral therapy. And, and basically what that is, is it's a cognitive restructuring. So it's changing our negative thought patterns. So the reality is our thoughts, behaviors, and feelings are all connected. And that's all cool when like everything's positive and going good in our lives, right? Like when we have positive thoughts, healthy emotions, and appropriate behavior, that's cool. But when all three are connected and we're struggling, that sucks. And a lot of time that, that struggle starts in our mind with our thinking or in our soul. The soul holds our um, intellect, will, and emotions. So with our emotions, right? And then those things manifest into our behavior. So basically what I'm trying to say is like when we think we're depressed, we respond by like lying in bed all day or by eating a bunch of cupcakes or by drinking or by lashing out and punching stuff when we think we're depressed. And then when we do those things, we feel depressed, right? And then because we feel depressed, we do those negative things again. And because we're doing those negative things again, we think we're depressed. And the cycle just keeps going on and on and on. But praise is something we can do to interrupt that maladaptive or poor thinking. Praise is something we can do to interrupt those poor feelings, right? Praise is a mode of treatment. So when, if we are actively struggling and excessively worrying about our kids or our depressed mood or our financial strain or whatever, if we begin to reflect on those things all the time, then we're gonna remain depressed. We're gonna continue to worry about our jobs or our financial situation. Like, this is the only thing we're thinking of. How can anything change if that's what we continue to focus on? So in those moments, we have to combat those feelings with the truth of God's word, right? So if I'm having feelings of low self-esteem and low self-worth, I have to combat that with truth. God says I'm beloved. He says he loves me, right? If I'm having feelings of not being able to make it or, or not being able to pay my bills, then I have to identify with the truth of God's word who says that he's a provider. You know what I mean? Like if I'm struggling mentally or struggling emotionally, if I got healing, I mean, I'm struggling with sickness in my body, like the truth of the word is that God is a healer. And if I begin to focus on those things, like if I begin to focus on the fact that even if, if I'm depressed and I have the Holy Spirit and one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy, then I don't have to be depressed because I have joy. Like if I begin to focus on that, if I'm struggling with my behavior and just can't seem to get it right but recognize that one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, then guess what? I have the ability to control myself. Like if we can combat the lie with the truth of God's word. Amen. If only we can do that. And when we're combating the lie with the truth of God's word, guess what that's what we're doing? It's praise. We're sitting there telling God who he is and appreciating him for what he's done. So then when I'm no longer depressed and I realize I have the ability to have joy, and then I recognize the fact that God is the one who gives me the ability to have joy, I can say thank you. Amen. Yeah, yeah. I, um, you know, I got fitness goals, so I um, run on the treadmill sometimes. And so one of the things that I struggle with with the treadmill is the fact that it takes a long time to get to the goal that I want to get when I'm running on the treadmill. So, so what happens is like I get on the treadmill and I hate running, I hate cardio, so I know that it's about to be a struggle. On the treadmill, when I'm running, if I look at that little screen that pop up, that like do the little dots all the way around the circle that show you how far you ran, right? or I look at the time, because maybe I want to run for 15 minutes and I'm only at like minute two, and then in my head the way it is, I'm like, that means I got 13 more minutes to go, Lord. Like, it's a struggle. And I promise you, it feels like I never am gonna reach my goal, that I'm just running. 
and I'm just running and I'm never gonna reach it. But when I stop focusing on that screen, right? When I stop paying attention to the numbers and the time, and I literally listen to the lyrics of the music that's playing, because I, I work out to praise and worship music. So when I literally listen to those words, the time somehow goes by a little faster. Now I'm still struggling to gain breath. I still like fall off the treadmill or struggling for air. My legs still hurt, it's crazy. Like I can't breathe out of that. Um, <laughs> but the time goes by. I'm able to endure and get to my goal. Why? Because I'm not focused on my stuff. That's all I'm trying to get y'all to do. Not focus on your stuff, but focus on the person who can fix your stuff. Mm -hmm. So if praise changes the focus from the problem to the problem solver, then praise is also a conduit or a channel for the problem solver to move. If we look at verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Praise is a conduit for God to move. Scripture says that suddenly, you ain't got to go back, suddenly an earthquake came. And that suddenly is like unexpectedly the earthquake came. Like they were, all the suffering had happened earlier. It's midnight. They broke out in praise. And then unexpectedly, there was a shift in the atmosphere. Because even though earthquakes were common in that area, Paul and Silas weren't scientists. And they didn't have the technology we have today to predict earthquakes and storms. So they didn't know what God was doing while they were praising. They knew they were suffering. They knew they were having a hard time. They chose to praise, but they didn't know if God was about to come through. They didn't know if God was going to come through that night. They didn't know if they were going to be in prison for years or months. Like, they didn't know. But what they did anyway was they praised. And their ability to praise through the pain propelled God into action and to move over their situation. Like, God responds to our praise. In 2 Chronicles 20, when uh, King Jehoshaphat was preparing to take on his enemies, he, like, petitioned God for counsel. Right? And God confirmed that Jehoshaphat would be victorious. He was like, yo, don't worry about this. I got your back. The battle's not yours. It's mine. And, you know, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat was like, cool. That's what's up. Nevertheless, the people still had to get up and they still had to face their enemy. Like, even though they were told and instructed by God that he was going to help them become victorious, they he still had to face their enemy. If we look at verse 21, it says, After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and, praise, and to praise him from the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammonon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Jehoshaphat made a decision to praise God in the midst of the battle. And instead of focusing on the battle at hand, instead of focusing on the army in front of him, instead of focusing on the problem, the trauma, the pain, the whatever, he commissioned people to sing praises to God. And as those people began to sing in praise, God said ambushes against them and the enemies were defeated. Like, like God had already planned God had already planned. He told them they were going to be victorious. That wasn't new. But look at how he responded to their praise. They praised God came in and moved on their situation. God already got a plan for what he's going to do in all of our lives and all our situations, every area of our suffering, every area of our depression, every area of our trauma, every area we need healing. God already has a plan. He already knows, right? But that praise, man, that is a conduit, that is a channel to get that stuff activated. The battle you're going through, it's not yours. Victory's here and it's available for you. There is scripture after scripture telling us we ain't gotta fight this thing alone. Like, we shouldn't be discouraged because we got our back. You know, this is my translation. It ain't really written like there in your NIV or your ESV, but like, that's what it's saying. 
And if we know how the story ends, if we know that the story, they're taking it over there. If we know that the story ends with Satan being defeated, right? If we know the story ends with Satan being defeated and with us reigning and ruling with God and Jesus for all eternity, in the land of no more. Like if we recognize that that land of no more, like it's like literally no, I call it the land of no more because scripture tells us in Revelations, like there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more death. There'll be, there'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more defeat. There'll be no more depression. There, like the, that land of no more, like that's the victory. And that's what God wants us to get to. So sometimes we're praying, expecting God to heal us right now in this situation today. And God's like, I am going to heal you. I am going to give you victory. He's just not going to tell us when. And it could be in the land of no more. In that land of no more, it's a little wild trial, as y'all pastors say all the time, that we're going through. Because the land of no more is forever. It's just a cool thing in the scripture that I thought, thought was pretty dope that... Um, when God moved with the earthquake and did the miraculous thing of like opening up the doors and like loosening the chains, like they were in a cell, an earthquake happened, and like the bolts and the doors like dropped and the doors fell open. Like the pressure was so strong, the, the tremors were so strong that like the chains that were attached to the walls came loose. Like, all of this quake, all of these tremors. But the walls didn't cave in and the roof didn't fall down. So all this tremors happened, this huge earthquake that disrupted the, the building so much that chains, chains, these ain't like chains, like chains came loose from walls and, and bolts from doors open like, but nobody was hurt or injured in this. Like, only a good God can cause just enough turmoil and just enough strife in our lives that can free us and not crush us. Like only a good God can do that. So, so it sucks and we don't want to be honest with it, but sometimes the bad breakup or sometimes losing your job is what God is going to use to free you. Like, like sometimes the, the depression or the trauma that you went through is what God is going to use to get you out of your brokenness and bondage. Like, like sometimes it doesn't always look like, you know, ease and comfort. Sometimes our victory is going to be coupled with us sitting and going through another season of confusion, another season of heartache, another season of pain, just for us to get to the area of victory. And that's the reality, because that's what happened to them. They had already endured so much suffering. Then they set through a storm. Then they were free. That was the out of the journey that they went on for their freedom in that moment. And so what I'm saying is that sometimes suffering and storms are what's prescribed for you to praise so that you can get to your area of victory. Amen. And not only did he move on Paul and Silas, what, what happened is if, if you look at the scripture in verse 26, it says like all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loose. Not just Paul and Silas. So the residual effect of their praise impacted other people. The residual effect of them suffering but staying up all night long to praise, staying up all night long to honor God for who he is, it resulted in other people being loose from their chains. I challenge you to have a praise so strong and go in for Jesus so hard that not just you, but people and circumstances like you can be free. The people who are dealing with the same trauma, the people who are dealing with the same poor marriages, the people dealing with the same level of financial strength, the people dealing with the same level of physical sickness, that you praise God so much that people like you. Not necessarily the people in your situation, not necessarily people in your circle, because these people were just prisoners like Paul. They wasn't like connected to Paul in any other way. So people like you can be free. All of this starts with the praise of two women who even though they were suffering, even though they had endured pain and hardship, 
Even though life wasn't being fair to them, they chose to praise and not focus on their problems. And when they praised and stopped focusing on their problems, God began to move in their lives and move over their situation to not only were they free, but their freedom was a witness to the deliverance that would happen to other people. Yeah. It's bigger than us, y'all. Our praise is bigger than us. And, and I'll never sit here or stand here or be in front of any, anybody God has entrusted to me and not be honest or not, be, or not talk from something that's really happening in our lives. Like, like I, I had the, the message last night, praise God, you know, I wasn't too stressed because my husband gave me a day away from children. Um, and so the message was prepared. But then last night, I'm trying to go to bed because ain't nobody at the house today at the game. And I'm struggling. Because six years ago yesterday, I gave birth to a stillborn baby girl that was one pound, eight ounces, right? And I spent my yesterday waking up early in the morning serving people, right? We had a She Breaks Bread event, and I cooked, you know, and, you know, She Breaks Bread, like I told them yesterday, they eat better than my house because I cook real good for them. And um, I'm going to be a better wife and parent later. But um, so I was up early cooking, and then we had the event. And then after the event, we had to clean up. And then I'm at home, and you know, we have children, so parenting the kids before they left, and like all of that. And then when I sat down, and I was by myself, I was like, God, it's my daughter's birthday. And I don't often sit in, in struggle and grief and pain and periods of depression when I think about Devin. Usually when I talk about my daughter, I'm smiling. But yesterday, like last night, by my, I was struggling. And I write, nobody was home. I was by myself. And I'm in my bed trying to go to sleep, but my thoughts, right? And I'm beginning to remember what happened that day. Like, my body is, is starting to have the same feelings I had when I was about to birth her. And I remember being in a bathroom by myself, because my husband, a bathroom by myself, and I remember, like, giving birth to her and waiting on the nurse and waiting on my husband to come back. Like, I would... And I don't often think about that stuff. And I'm sitting there thinking about it. And then I'm like, God, why would you do that to me? Like, like I thought, I just was trying to serve you. Like, I thought I did what I was supposed to do as a, as a wife and as a mother. Like, I thought I did what I was supposed to do as a Christian. Like, like God, I wanted to have sex. Like, like God, I honor my husband. Like, why would you take my, like, I'm having all these thoughts. I'm struggling. And then, God, if you would do it, you can't possibly love me. Like, I can't, you can't be good if you would do that. Like, like, forget what I know theologically. Like, you can't be a good God. And I'm like going in, and these thoughts, and these thoughts. And, I'm, and I just keep having these thoughts, and they're negative. And, and I'm sitting there and having these, this, these physical experience. I'm stressed. I'm anxious now. Like, I want to go back to some of my normal sinful behaviors that I respond to when I'm stressed and I'm struggling. And then it was like, oh. You gotta do what I'm telling you to tell the people tomorrow to do. Like you gotta sit here and just praise them. So so for about an hour and a half, I listened to praise and worship music so I wouldn't be focused on the pain of my daughter, not the memory <clears throat> of her, but the pain and the pain of that trauma. Like like so much so that when they came home, usually I go to sleep to like instrumental music. I, like some type of Jesus song was blasting that I had fell asleep to and Dylan woke me up and it started me out of my sleep. But like, I needed that. So as we get free and as we praise ourselves into victory and God works through on our behalf, he has the power to do it in all of y'all situations as well. And if ever we can partner my praise with his praise and his praise with your praise, Pharrell, and his praise with your praise, Danielle, and we all have this resounding sound of praise and worship, I just wonder if a movement can happen not only in our lives, but if a movement can happen like it did in the first century church, and a movement can happen in Ward 7, and a movement of God can happen in the city of Cleveland, and resound throughout Northeast Ohio, and throughout the state, and throughout the nation, the way God wants it to be in the first place.
we got to get to the level, you guys, that we're willing to pray freely in every situation. I pray that we learn and identify ways to praise God and that we praise him in every season of our lives. And we trust the fact that our praise is what's going to be used to fight every single one of our battles. Thank you, God, for being just a, an awesome, good God. Thank you for giving us the ability to praise you and for showing us so many different ways that we can praise, honor, and admonish you, God. Be that thing that we need when we are struggling. Remind us, propel us, compel us to revere you, to sit with you, to talk to you, and do what you only have the ability to do in our lives and our situations. There you have it. Praise. God is prescribing to us praise. Those things that doesn't necessarily remove the problem, but changes our focus from the problem to the problem solver. Listen, that word was great. And we thank uh, my wife for bringing, being obedient, first of all, and for bringing us something that we can take with us um, throughout our week and throughout our hardships and trials and tribulations. Hey, do me a favor. If you like this message, could you share it? Um, also, you can follow us on Facebook, Reach City Church. You can follow us on Instagram at Reach Church CLE. If you want to follow me personally, you can follow me on Facebook at Leonard Jr. Tanks or on Instagram at Leonard underscore Tanks. Hey, and since she spoke, you can follow my wife, D'Angela Lavender Tanks on Facebook and D Tanks 0614 on Instagram. Listen, we uh, appreciate you guys listening each week. We thank you guys uh, for supporting us and we love you. And we'll see you guys next week for God's prescriptions. <laughs>